I would have to say the biggest part of it is that I realize that it's not all on my shoulders. And there's such a great saying that if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. <laughs> so, and that has sort of let me release and let me be me and, and be the comfortable, happy, competent person instead of a nervous wreck doing what I'm doing because I know that I'm not alone. I know that God and Jesus are with me. You're listening to Jesus Walks on Wall Street, where real people working in the finance industry talk about life, work, and faith with your host, Pastor Nathan Hart. Hi, Tracy Chadwell. Hi, Nathan. So you are the founding partner of 1843 Capital. Can you explain what that is? Yes. 1843 uh, is really special to us because it's the year that a woman named Ada Lovelace wrote the first computer program. Ada is really a fascinating character because she was the only legitimate daughter of Lord Byron. I'm sure everyone has in high school has read some of Lord Byron's poetry. And she was more mathematically inclined. And I don't know if this was nature or nurture. Her mother was very concerned that she might develop a lot of the romantic tendencies that her father had had and and was worried about it. So she didn't let her study any poetry or writing or arts. What her uh, focus was, was to have Ada study uh, what we consider the STEM uh, the STEM um, section today, which is, uh, you know, science, technology, engineering, and math. And uh, so Ada was a student of those things, but she still found beauty and poetry in numbers. And so she met a man named Charles Babbage, who was designing something called an analytical engine. And she was fascinated by the computational power of it. And she also knew of a man named Charles Jacquard. Uh, Your listeners may know of the Jacquard tapestries. And they became very popular in the 1800s. And in order to produce them more quickly, Jacquard developed what was called a punch card system. These punch cards Mm -hmm. were used to program the looms. So then he could mass produce the tapestries. Well, Ada took a look at those punch cards and said, you know, I think instead of just programming looms, we could actually do some mathematical equations with these. So she effectively wrote what is considered the first computer program. And we at 1843 think that that's really important Hmm. to give a nod to a lot of the really interesting technical women that Hmm. were out there before us. That's really fascinating. And I want to talk about what 1843 Capital is, what venture capital is. But before we get there, I want to just look a little bit at your story, some of your biography. You've got some really interesting things in your career. You once testified before the United States Senate Committee. Can you tell us why and what that experience was like? Yes, I did. You know, that was extraordinary. And uh, it was such an honor to, to have them invite me down to speak on the subject of women's entrepreneurship. Uh, I, I do think that the the national government is taking an interest in mm. what's happening with women women's businesses. They're looking and saying this is a really interesting area. That this space is growing exponentially. Mm. Uh, why don't we try to to encourage this? Um, at the same time, I think this is also a reflection of the Me Too movement that they're saying we know that women have had struggles in business as well. So what mm. can we as a branch of the U.S. government do to, to sort of assist in this area? Um, but one of the reasons that I decided to start my firm is I believe that government is not always the answer. I think it moves exponentially slowly. Um, you know, I don't know if everybody re- 
remembers that the Equal Rights Amendment was proposed in 1972. We've been waiting an incredibly long time for what I just like to refer to as parity of opportunity. Hmm. Uh, I, I think it, everybody in this world deserves a chance. And, and if you're not getting that chance to do something that you're passionate and that you love, um, I, I think it's a real disservice to the world. And one of the frustrations for women entrepreneurs is that they have difficulty getting funding. And it's not just in my space, which is funding small, high-growth companies, but it's also in the areas of debt financing and, and, and the like. Um, so the, the U.S. Senate was looking into how best that they can approach this. What was it like? I mean, we see sometimes on TV, you have a Supreme Court justice being grilled by these senators. Did you sit in that chair and I, face those faces? I did. I did. Um, it was it was uh, very exciting, but a, a little nerve wracking too. And it's on C-SPAN. You can you can see it. Ooh, so I'll, I'll look it up later. <laughs> but uh, uh, you know, they, they there's an intensity there, and um, I think I felt both an intensity, but then I also felt a keen interest to really learn what the problem was and, and mm -hmm. what the solutions could be. Uh, you know, watching the Kavanaugh hearings right now, uh, I was, I was uh, interviewed by several of the, the members of the Senate that are, that are doing that now, and um, they sort of treated me the same way, even though it was information gathering. I guess they call what they're doing right now information gathering, too. So you use the phrase parity of opportunity. Yes. yes. When you were uh, sitting there in front of those senators, I'm just, just out of curiosity, uh, how many of them were men and how many of them were women? Or was it? Yeah, it was, it was pretty interesting. It was, it was a nice split. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I would say it was, it was 50, 50. Did you feel like you had some people in your corner and some people coming against you or? Well, I think we've seen from, from other hearings um, that there are definitely some senators who are, are very much trying to solve the problem and, and mm -hmm. wanting, wanting to find a, a solution, financial or otherwise, to what's going on. However, um, no one was particularly against you know, what, what we were talking about. Sure. I think everybody wants to, to find a way to grow the economy, and small yeah. business is certainly a way to do that. And if women are creating small businesses at a faster rate than traditional businesses, um, um, I think everybody's for that, essentially. As long as there's not um, dollars attached to it, I think that's where people then start to struggle. I mean, any senator interested in growing the economy, if he or she considers that entirely half of the population of the country might not be given equal opportunity, parity of opportunity to grow the economy, you know, right. it's going to occur to them, we need to really look at this. We need women to have full opportunity to... Right. pursue uh, these these so I think at a high level you have all sides on on the side sure of course yeah um, you also were a partner in a growth capital venture fund called Baker Capital tell us about that yes so so Baker Capital was a billion dollar growth capital venture capital fund um, and the maybe it's worth exploring what growth capital yes, please means explain. versus mm -hmm. uh, early stage venture capital, which is which is what we at 1843 do now. Okay. Growth capital is when a company is up and running, maybe has as much as uh, $50 million in sales. And this is a large amount of capital that will then go on to, to, to get a company ready for sale. 
Um, that's what some of the larger funds will do. We're, we're a much smaller fund, and we're coming in at an earlier stage. Um, there's a stage before us, which we call seed stage. That's very early. That's maybe mm-hmm. when somebody has an idea mm-hmm. and they're just getting started. Maybe it's one or two founders. We usually like to come in when a company is already at about $2 million in sales. Okay. And we say that that's a good benchmark to mm-hmm. say, okay, do you have existing customers? Um, Do you know how to get more customers? Has your product come to a place where people are really interested in in paying money for it? And probably one of the toughest things and, and, and what we look for to be solved at this point is the pricing issue. What are people willing to pay for this solution to their problem? And so if I came to you with, let's say a a brand new idea, that would be an iPhone app. And I told you that's all it is, is an idea and I have the coding and that's it. That would be seed. And you would say, come back to me when you have $2 million in annual sales. And that, that would be seed if you've had experience doing it before. Mm -hmm. Um, Usually what we call, what what we do is it's called institutional capital. And so we're, we're professionals at this. Um, before that, if, if you are just a person starting out and you just have an idea, most likely you will get what we call friends and family money. Okay. That means borrowing from your uncle yep. or, or your, your aunt or your next door neighbor to try to get your idea off the ground. But, um, it's, it's a very rare thing that people that you don't know would want to fund a company sure. if you haven't done it before. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, tell us also um, about the MIT Enterprise Forum and and your role on it. So I'm an advisor to the uh, MIT Enterprise Forum, and that does a lot of fantastic things in New York City, uh, educating people on different subjects uh, like the blockchain, like augmented reality, mm. virtual reality. Uh, and then also too, we, we have had, uh, some sessions on why, uh, you know, investing in women is just good business. Hmm. And so how, I mean, how often does that meet and how many people are involved? That it, that meets about, uh, five times a year. Okay. Sessions. Huh. Very interesting. Now, last year I saw in the newspaper here yes. in Greenwich that you were the recipient of the 2018 Mofly Media Award for Women's Business Advocate. Yes. Was that a surprise to you? Did you see that it, coming? It, it was a phenomenal surprise. I didn't know until I, I was given the award, which was fantastic. And hmm. it really felt terrific because it was um, acknowledging the work that we are doing at 1843 Capital, but it, it also it's the year of the woman. So, so to, to have that mm-hmm. award during the year of the woman hmm. for, for being out there for, for looking out for other women was, was quite hmm. an honor. Hmm. That's really cool. I was proud of you when I saw oh, that. I was really happy for you. <laughs> and, and I can't, can't think of another person that's more deserving. Oh, so congratulations. Uh, I do want to talk, I want you to explain uh, 1843 and what it does. But yep. first though, I want to just humanize you a little bit. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your family. Absolutely. Um, well, I'm incredibly lucky to have a, a wonderful, warm family. I have a wonderful husband and I have two sons and I have a yellow Labrador <laughs> and they are all guys. So, <laughs> so, so my entire household, uh, when I go home at night is all guys. And, um, during the day I, I mostly, but not a hundred percent work with women. So it's a, it's a really nice balance for me. 
Yeah, well, I can. I, I know your guys, and yeah. uh, they're also such wonderful guys. So, thanks. Um, uh, so let's talk about 1843, and just tell us how it functions, and and maybe even tell us as well um, beyond the wonderful story you told us about the year 1843. What motivated you to get into this sector of the finance industry? Yes. Well, well, first of all, um, I find early stage technology companies to be one of the most exciting things. You know, we in the United States are really lucky to have the ability to to freely innovate. And um, we've done some extraordinary things, you know, obviously the advent of the Internet and this new connectivity and and cell phones and having mobile devices. You know, they're essentially computers in your hands that are more powerful than the IBM mainframes computers that we used to have that used to fill up rooms, you know. And, of course, remember, those were programmed by punch cards, Mm -hmm. you know, along Mm -hmm. the lines of Ada Lovelace. Um, so, So we live in such an exciting time a time of, of real turnover. So I love to be involved in that space. It's, you know, investing in, in companies has been my background for over 20 years. And, but also in particular, I saw that there was a really interesting opportunity to invest in women because even though women have been starting companies at such an accelerated rate over the last, especially five to six years, really the five to six years, um, funding has not been there for mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. They have received um, anywhere between 2 and 3% wow. of total venture capital dollars. Wow. And that equates uh, to somewhere in the neighborhood of, of $4 billion. And I know that sounds like a lot, but when you're talking about $84 billion mm-hmm. being plugged into these technology companies, yeah. it, it's really a drop in the bucket. And I saw it as um, a couple of things. But, you know, First and foremost, wow, an inefficient market in mm-hmm. finance. Everybody's looking for an inefficient market because inefficient markets are really the only place to realize what we call outsized returns. Um, you know, otherwise you might as well just be putting your capital in the S and P, right? right. <laughs> so, yeah. so uh, well, if, before you go on, yeah. I want to I want to um, explore that a little bit. So sure. let's say I come to you and I want to invest in what you're doing. What kind of returns would I be expecting? Be, you know, obviously, it's gonna be beyond putting my money in the S&P. Right. So what are we talking about? Yeah, so obviously, we're looking for something above the S&P, especially yeah. since my business is one where you are, you're actually locked up for a long time. You commit capital to what we have, what we call a fund. Mm-hmm. So that is committed. It's, it's not, uh, you don't send us a check. Um, we call capital on a what we call a deal-by-deal deal basis. So when we find a really interesting company that we think is worth investing in, mm-hmm. then from our investors, we'll say, hey, guys, it's time to time to send a check now. Yep. And they do. And then they have their relative percentage of that company. So that's, that's how we function practically. So at that point, let's say I'm one of your investors. Mm-hmm. You call me up and you say, you know, uh, this is a, a big idea. Um, we want $10 million from you. And then after a few years, you're going to get that money back. I mean, it just help me understand it. I, I, pretend sure. I don't know anything about the industry. Sure. And just try to, you know, put some percentages on, like, how am I going to get money back from when I invest in what you're doing? Right. So, so what we really look for is when we're investing in a company and we, we underwrite or what you would say, you, you pencil out the returns 
mm-hmm. we like to shoot for 10 times our money. Wow. That is what we have to do. Um, if a company cannot return mm-hmm. 10 times our money, we have to pass on the opportunity. Wow. Because we're looking to put between 10 and 12 companies in the portfolio for diversification because mm-hmm. you don't want to literally have all your eggs in one basket because these companies have a failure rate that is very high. Okay. Uh, at the seed stage, the failure rate is as high as 90%. Wow. Which is crazy. Right. So you're, you're, you, you have to think constantly, okay, even though everything looks like it's going right, they have a really great team, a great idea, a mm-hmm. really, really large market opportunity, which is always something we look for. Um, the possibility of that company failing is almost a guarantee. So when you get to our, our, what we call early stage, Mm -hmm. which is that stage when a company has 2 million in sales, the, the, the averages go way down. Now we're talking about 50% failure rate. Um, but that's still Still really high. high. So if I'm investing in 10 companies, I might have, uh, you know, five of them go bankrupt. Mm -hmm. So I have to make sure that the, that the, the five winners, will give me so much return yep. that it makes up for the losses okay. of the ones that go So under. the overall portfolio is growing, even though some of them are failing and some of them are going 10x. Right, yeah. right. Hmm. And and then what we shoot for is we're trying to achieve an above 30% return on okay. capital Got it. On, an, on an annual basis. Yeah, great. Because that's the benchmark in the industry. And so the companies that you're investing in are headed by women. Is that right? Or, or is it that, you know, predominantly we, we have come to a conclusion that, uh, we would like to bring men to the table and have men be, mm-hmm. be part of this as well and, uh, not be exclusionary in any way. So we have decided that, uh, we, we would, we have deal flow that a lot of women founders are coming to us for capital and, and we love it. And we have companies that are co-founded by a man and a woman. But then we mm-hmm. also, if we look at a company that has an all-male team, mm-hmm. one of the things that they do with our capital, almost all of it, is usually spent for hiring. Okay. So when, when they do that hiring, the we say, hey, look, you, this capital is going to go to hiring. Why don't you consider you know, bringing some diversity into your company. Got it. And, and so we find that being advocates in that way, we can, we can work with a broader brush and also, um, primarily because we are fiduciaries, first and foremost, our goal is above market returns. So that's number one, um, having an effect on what's happening. Funding for women is a really nice part of what we do, but our primary goal is, is to return uh, capital to our investors. Uh, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Now, Tracy, I'm sitting here thinking in a perfect world, I would be able to sit down with you, Tracy, and talk about what it's like to work, um, in venture capital and, and not say, what's it like to be a woman in the financial market in a perfect world. I wouldn't, you know, when I interview the guys, I don't ever ask what's it like to be a man working on wall street. But I, I'm asking you that it, it's sort of like, if I were to say to somebody, what's it like being a woman in the NFL? I mean, clearly that would be a story, right? Cause there's hardly any women. There's hardly any women who work in finance. Do you know what the percentage is? Actually, the, the numbers are a little all over the place. I, I've mm. seen um, 
the number, they're all single digits though. Right. It's, wow. it's 3%, uh, to about 7%. And, um, it's how you quantify it. it mm-hmm. You know, people say, how are you, are you deciding it's, is it partners? Right. Is it partners who can make a decision on whether or not to allocate capital to a company? How, how do we decide that? Um, but the numbers are, I think are, are pretty close to 3% right now in That's terms amazing. of women partners in venture capital firms. Um, we're seeing a lot more hiring on the associate side. So the younger women are, are, are very, very uh, sought after these days, which is a great thing. Yeah. to bring into the company, but in terms of, of a decision maker, someone who's able to allocate capital, it's really still very small. And so the solution to this, I mean, you went before the Senate, there's maybe some possible government type incentivizing uh, that can happen, but beyond government, as you said before, it's not always the best, government's not right. the best solution right. to any problem. Right. What are other solutions that could be brought to the table to bring more women, half the population, uh, to the table. Right. Well, there's um, there's a couple of different initiatives right now. One of them is is Paradigm for Parity, which is a, a terrific organization um, that's run by Ellen Coleman and Jewel Bickford. Uh, Ellen was the former CEO of DuPont, mm. and uh, and Jewel is at Evercore, and they are working to have companies sign a manifesto saying that they will make an effort to to calculate what they're doing internally. For their uh, for their uh, numbers of diverse workers and um, whether or not these workers are being paid on the same level and what their maternity leave looks like and things like that. So that's helping mm. because I think what you have to do is if you want more women generally in the workforce and and then in venture capital, um, you have to create an environment yeah. where first and foremost they can balance sure. the caregiving responsibilities that many, not all, many, and and one of the things that I like to do is respect everyone's choice. I don't think that there's one mm. answer for any single person mm-hmm. out there. So, so we have to respect everyone's choices, but we, it, it's, it's good to set it up for all of your employees, mm-hmm. um, to be able to be there if a child gets sick or to mm. be there if a grandparent is sick, um, you know, a father that needs help, uh, in an assisted living facility. Um, and, Many companies are now putting help like that in place. Now, you know, venture capital firms are really small, so a lot of the times they right. can't mm-hmm. implement a lot of that infrastructure to help everyone in their firm um, um, deal with some of these issues that they have. But I think that they are at least focusing on trying to bring more women into mm-hmm. to their businesses. A lot of the larger venture capital funds have added one female partner, which is a start, which hmm. is great. Um, but there is some research also by the Michelle Clayman Institute, which is out of Stanford that shows that really differences happen on boards if you have three women board members. Hmm. So, so one woman may feel uncomfortable standing up and saying, look, you know, we really should look at bringing more uh, female founders into our portfolio. Um, also, too, that woman may not want to necessarily be an advocate for women. She may right. say, hey, yeah. look, I'm the blockchain expert. I don't want right. to be looked at as, as the woman <laughs> expert. Um, and so there's a struggle there. So, hmm. so I think the magic number is when we see three women partners at firms um, culturally and and from an investment perspective, things might change. There, there's just a way of you know looking at companies, and there's also um, you you have to be proactive. You know when we're out looking at a certain industry, we're very proactive about who we seek out, and and if you're interested in mm-hmm. funding women, you have to be seeking them out 
So that's why yeah. I think you need at least one, three women partners. Did you see the interview with Tina Fey on the David Letterman special? So David Letterman now has a special on Netflix where he, he it's, I think it's called My Guest Needs No Introduction or oh, something like great. that. And he brought on Tina Fey and she told the story of Saturday Night Live and the, the table read. So they have all the sketches that might go into Saturday Night Live. And it used to be almost all dudes. Yeah. And eventually in time, more and more women got around that table and she described how at the table read you pitch sketches and if if they land if people laugh then they might get on the show but when it was all guys you know the little jokes that maybe women might laugh at nobody oh, was sure. laughing and eventually with enough when you said at least 3 women at the table right. Uh, enough with enough women in the in the table read laughs were happening at some of the jokes you know that otherwise wouldn't have gotten on and over time now you see more and more sketches on Saturday Night Live that women can relate to more than guys I'm reminded of that similarly I have a good friend who's who's a young woman married and she works at a hedge fund and she became pregnant and went to her bosses with you know what's our you know, family leave policy right. and there was nothing, yeah, there was yeah. nothing. So they had to write one for her. Right. And that taught me a lot about women in the finance industry, how you guys are really at this stage pioneering right. the, the path, you know, forward. That was true. So. When I was at Baker Capital, there was no family leave. They, wow. We sort of just did it on the fly and it was really uncomfortable because we, uh, my son came six weeks early mm. and we didn't have any discussions. I, you know, still thought I had a little time. I thought, you know, most firstborns are, are born a couple weeks after the due date. So mm. um, it was a complete shock when I had to call my office and say that I was in the hospital yeah. and, and uh, I was having contractions and I was delivering that day and we hadn't had any discussions about it at all mm. and uh, I ended up on the phone all day long and in, in the hospital bed and the nurse came in and said I've never seen anyone on the phone more than you Tracy wow. but I had to sort of wrap everything up while while we were getting ready for for my little son to come and uh, it, you know that was it was an uncomfortable discussion I, you know two days after the birth of my son and I'm, I'm not saying this out of a sense of pride but just just what happened um, you know my assistant was in my home and we were going through mm -hmm. my mail and we were you know setting up calls and things like that and mm -hmm. and I was working from home for those first couple weeks and mm -hmm. I had a lot of pressure to return um, and um, in fact uh, we had a situation where it came down to whether or not you know should I should I be paid or you know we had to have all these right. discussions and yeah. and I said, look, you can't have it both ways. You can't mm. not pay me, but have me working from home. <laughs> you know, so it's uh, you know it's 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 always sort of an uncomfortable situation. And it's mm. uh, I think it's great that now that there's a lot of um, there's a lot of platforms that are already in place and guidelines for people so that they can structure things. You know, hopefully ahead of time. <laughs> well, as we're discovering, still lots of work to be done there. I mean, yeah, my sure. friend with the um, with the pregnancy. I mean, that right. this was just this year. Oh yeah. You know, very very recent. So yeah, I, I want to segue a little bit, Tracy, and start talking a little bit about faith. Sure. And the way that I want to segue is you and I belong to the same church. Yes. And at our church, we believe strongly in the ordination of women. Yes. And this is something that I believe in strongly because I think it's biblical. I yeah. see the partnership between men and women already way back in the garden, right. um, but also in the early church and the full humanity and leadership and gifting of women in the church. Whenever I go to a church where they 
they don't believe in the ordination of women or the mm-hmm. leadership of women. It feels weird to me. It, yeah. You know, I look up at the, at the altar and I see all these guys in all these, you know, the only men elders and only men. And I just think you're, you're missing a partnership here that could make this church much richer and much more reflective of the full design of God. So we've been talking about wall street, the finance sector, venture capital, and how it's predominantly male. Mm-hmm. How are you experiencing, uh, comment on the church thing if you want to, but how are you experiencing your, your faith expression within the context of the finance industry? And I want to ask you a very specific question towards that, which is where do you see Jesus in the finance industry? Sure. You know, um, Nathan, we just came to church actually very recently. Mm-hmm. You know, um, this is a this is a new experience for me. I, ha- mm-hmm. I had grown up in in the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. which uh, you know, as you mentioned, um, women were all male cast to yeah. participate at all. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, honestly, one of the reasons that I didn't feel comfortable still being a member of of a Catholic Church is given all of the horrific uh, abuses of children that had gone on. And um, to me, it was horrific that it happened. Mm -hmm. But what was more horrific was that it was covered up. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we as humans, we fail, but but that to me was was a was something that I I couldn't be comfortable still being a member of the yeah. church knowing that that had happened and and um, so you know we sort of fell away from mm-hmm. faith and and uh, we had our 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 sons christened when they were babies but then you know just sort of would show up but I, I think the common common as uh, uh, Christmas Christers, and Easter. Christers. Yeah, Christers, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so we would show up at Christmas and Easter mm-hmm. and, um, we had a, a great thing happen, which is that a friend of ours said, you know, we, we are having our son confirmed and we're looking at a couple different churches and, mm-hmm. you know, one of them is closer to my house and you know, not my house, but the friend's house. And, mm-hmm. and she said, you know, which, which church do you want to go to? I said, I don't know. You know, if you want to do that one, let's do that one. Mm-hmm. And, and so she, she and I signed the boys up for sandwich mm-hmm. and, uh, it, the confirmation classes were held during the same time as the services. Yeah. And my husband and I said, well, why don't we just sit for the service? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. uh, pretty extraordinary. You know, after the first service, we said, wow, this mm-hmm. is, this is great. This is really speaking to us. This is, um, someplace where we are finding comfort and mm-hmm. community. Mm-hmm. And so then we just started going and, and, uh, my son, John was confirmed and we still kept going, <laughs> yeah. which is great. So, so I'm coming to this, um, you know, I've always had a very spiritual side to me, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm coming to faith very newly, you know, sort of over the last uh, year or so. And it's been an extraordinary experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I certainly am not looking for any sympathy, but building a business is very hard. Mm. It's something that uh, is you are putting, you're making yourself vulnerable, putting yourself out there every single day. And through this process over the last year and a half or so, um, I, I've struggled, you know, waking up cold sweats in the middle mm. of the night, trying mm-hmm. to figure out, am I making the right decisions? Is this the right path to go? Is this, you know, um, and it's very, very hard to make yourself vulnerable and constantly ask for people to support your business on a daily basis. Right. And, uh, you know, um, being able to share that with God, uh, yep. has made all the difference. Hmm. Um, and, and being a member of the sandwich church hmm. and I, I, I would have to say the biggest, Part of it is that um, 
I realize that it's not all on my shoulders. And Amen. there's such a great saying that if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Yep. <laughs> and so, and that has sort of let me release and let me be me and, yes. and be the comfortable, happy, competent person instead yeah. of a nervous wreck um, yeah. doing what I'm doing um, because I know that I'm not alone. I know that God and Jesus are with me. And, yeah. uh, you know, um, I, I heard another saying too, that you'd never be afraid again if you knew who's walking right next to you. Mm. And and I really believe that every day. And mm. so then you ask me, okay, where do I see mm-hmm. Jesus on Wall Street? Yeah. And... You know, I, I do see it nearly every day. Hmm. Um, it's 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 pretty incredible. Um, people say, "Oh, something's a coincidence," and the word coincidence comes from the word coinciding forces, hmm. and that is where I see Jesus and where I feel very blessed is that there are so many situations where impossible things happen, where I'll wake up Mm -hmm. and I'll see an email from a great CEO that I've wanted to get in touch with Mm -hmm. or, you know, or, or, or something just sort of, for lack of a better word, drops in my lap. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't feel like I'm taking responsibility for that. I feel like there's something Mm -hmm. much bigger out there that is, um, that's on my team, (laughs) you know, that's, that's, uh, that's one of my team members and, um, Mm -hmm. and helping me with this. And Mm -hmm. there's some times that I felt incredibly tired and incredibly frustrated and I've prayed and I said, you know, I, I'm not sure how much more I can do this. And then the next day something great happens and I, I feel good and keep going. Thank you so much for sharing all sure. that. So good. I want to draw out two things that you just said. One is just a comment. I once heard somebody say that coincidence is simply God's way of remaining anonymous. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like there are no coincidences. Well, I think, I think I recognize it. I know who's yeah. there. <laughs> and the second thing that I would want to draw out from what you just said, which I think is really profound, and I hope everybody listening can really contemplate when you were talking about the fact that, that there is a God and you can rest in that, you can just, I think you said you can just freely be yourself right. and the gifting that you have it's and let him be God. Cause really the alternative right. is if I don't believe there is a God, right. you know, whether I'm in business or running a household or, you know, coaching a team or something, if there is no God, guess what? I'm the God of that situation. I have to be in charge. I have to fight for my own, you know, sustenance and all that. And it's exhausting trying to be our own gods. But when you say there is a God, I'm not that God. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you find that when you, so you gave a very personal testimony Mm -hmm. when you're, when you're anxious, you know, maybe in the evening and you're thinking about the deal the next day or the possibility and you see on a personal level, God with these kind of coincidences. What about though, relationally in the industry, people on your team, does faith ever come up at, you know, at power dinners or in, you know, do people talk about faith at all in this industry? No, they don't. Uh, It doesn't mean it's not there. But there is, uh, you know, we are all working on such limited time that uh, people really sort of start to get to the heart of matter. Sometimes when Mm. I get to know a person um, and I have a deeper relationship that's not just purely business on the surface, uh, you know, we we can have some discussions about how we feel Mm. and our faith. But um, I think that you know, a lot of people, you know, they're political. Everybody's trying to sort of stay on the surface and just get stuff done. And, and you, and people don't want to put any hurdles or, or make people feel uncomfortable in any way, you know? Um, 
And, uh, but I have to tell you too, that I sense it so much more, you know, there's sort of a overarching feeling that in, in money and capitalism and then what we call wall street, which is a a euphemism for the finance industry. Mm -hmm. It used to mean all the big investment banks that were located down on wall street Mm -hmm. in New York. Um, but that there, that this is an evil place. Right. That this is where greed thrives and and where a lot of damage is done. And um, I would say, like nearly everything else in this world, there are opposing forces. And mm-hmm. there are forces that, that are negative. But the way I look at it is capitalism and, and, and finance, these are great tools. Mm-hmm. And why don't we use these exceptionally powerful tools to do some great things in the world? And um, I think if you start to scratch the surface, like anything else, the predominance of, of the good forces in this world mm-hmm. are so much stronger than the ones that are coming from a, a dark place. And I would imagine that people who are grounded in a faith tradition, Mm -hmm. who work in the finance industry, Mm -hmm. are going to have, they're going to be able maybe to see some of the potential for the corruption or the forces of evil, as you've described it. Right. And they're going to say, you know what, this this thing called capitalism is a tool that can be used for human flourishing. It can be used for a lot of good. And and there might be a lot of opportunities, even in, um, in the type of companies you're going to invest in. You know, you can make ethical decisions about which type you're going to, you want to grow. Right. Right. Look, even philanthropy is capitalism Mm. because what you're doing is you're taking money and you're making an investment in something expecting a certain return. Mm-hmm. You know, this return is not money back to you, sure. but it's a return in an increase of people who are being fed yeah. or an increase in people who are being clothed or, or provided with another type of benefit. So I think we forget that. We think, you know, mm-hmm. philanthropy, oh gosh, that's just giving money away. No, it's not. You know, people yeah. don't, people don't just walk down the street with a stack of bills. Yeah. They're actually expecting a return. Yeah. I, I do think some people have the perception of all of Wall Street being evil. You know, and there's mm-hmm. the, that's an easier thing for them in their minds. It's sure. just one big category. It's all evil. But we, what you've just articulated is is really wonderful. And and to picture people like you in the finance industry who are grounded in faith, um, it, it makes me want to pray for you. It makes me want to mm-hmm. you know Thank support you, you and people you. Uh, like you. Obviously, there's lots of of them in our church, but on a personal level. Um, yeah, I, I want to be here for you and support you and, oh, thank you. and watch you, uh, even related to the women thing, as, as I was describing with our church, I, one of my passions is seeing young women who have the calling to be pastors and giving them the platform and the avenue and the opportunity to say, you know what, here at this church, I want you to fly. Mm-hmm. If there's anything, maybe even psychological that's inhibiting you. Cause you think a lot of the women we see, uh, who come through the church, maybe have pastoral calling. Some of the limitations they have are internal. They have to resolve, is it okay for me to be a pastor? Of course. Do you see that at all in, in the industry as you work with women? Oh, sure. It's, uh, you know, there's a constant conflict uh, with with a lot of the women founders that I am working with. And some of them will say things to me like, oh, Tracy, I didn't want to bother you bother me. You mm-hmm. know, this is, this is my job. It's right. my job to evaluate potential investment opportunities. Mm-hmm. And so if, if a woman doesn't come to me and ask for capital, I can't, I can't make a decision whether or not I want mm-hmm. She's already said no for me. Right. Exactly. And, and mm-hmm. so I say, don't ever feel like you're ever bothering anyone. And I think it's, there's a lot of internal conflict and a lot of hurdles mm-hmm. that, uh, that female founders are faced with. Sounds like it.
I want to wrap up here and I yeah. want you to think about something that's of interest to you that's totally unrelated to the industry or um, the way that I phrase this as I do these interviews is I call it fellowship hour. So right. this Sunday after church when you and I are having a cup of coffee and a cookie after church, wh- what would you chat about? That's a tough one, Nathan. I, I Building a business is such a difficult thing mm-hmm. that over the last two years, um, I really haven't focused on anything else and just trying to keep my family together Mm. and and be there for them. Um, and, and trying to spend a little bit of time, you know, maybe going on hikes and things with them. Um, Mm. and then, and then it's just more than a hundred percent work. It's, you know, 11 o'clock at night, it's six o'clock in the morning. Um, but, you know, maybe that could be a message to me that uh, I need to seek a little more balance in my life mm-hmm. and, and uh, sort of cultivate some of the interests that I used to have. Hmm. Well, thanks for your honesty on that. Yeah, I really absolutely. appreciate that. And Tracy, thank you so much for this time. I know you're how busy you are you're and how much welcome, you have to do Nathan. today. This Happy has been really edifying for yeah. me. Oh, great. Thanks. Me too. Okay. Thank you. You've been listening to Jesus Walks on Wall Street with your host, Pastor Nathan Hart. On the next episode... And that's what we finally realized after a while, is that God had put us in a perfect place to do this mission. Like That actually was why I think he put me on the earth, because um, all of that kind of perfectly worked together. And that's what we finally realized, is that why that's where God wanted me to serve, not necessarily some someplace else. Mm-hmm.